Hi, I'm Desmond Child, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me in the zoom room to discuss his autobiography, Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life, please welcome legendary songwriter Desmond Child. Good morning, Desmond. Good morning. So, What's going on here? Uh, we're, I'm, just, I'm just so excited to talk to you, Desmond, because ever since I've been buying records and CDs, every time I would pick up an, an album by one of my favorite artists, there were always these songwriters that were in the credits that would get me excited. People like Holly Knight and Kelly Steinberg and Diane Warren and number one, Desmond Child. So it's just so exciting to talk to someone who has written or co-written so many songs that mean so much to me and my life. So thank you for being here. Well, it's an honor. For me, this is so great. Now, let me talk a little bit about the book. Forward by Paul Stanley. You can't get better than that. <laughs> I know. And we I've been doing the audiobook uh and it's so hard. Oh my god. But uh Paul Paul did read his uh forward and it's so awesome, you know, his <laughs> actual voice, you know, saying those words, you know, especially such complimentary stuff about me i i just i'm so pleased and he's one of my most important mentors uh and has done the most for me of anyone in my career well then it makes sense that he writes the foreword and when you talk about paul's voice when you go see kiss in concert and i just saw them in london uh last month paul's stage voice is not the voice that he's reading in there's two Paul Stanley voices. There's that high pitched, let's get the rock and roll show going. And then there's, then there's the lower Paul just talking in conversation. So I'm sure that's the one we're getting on the forward. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't like, you know, (laughs) hello, New York. (laughs) 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 There's some blurbs on the back of the book. And my favorite one, it might be my favorite blurb of all time. It's from Diane Warren. And it says, Desmond Child, dot, 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 always a threat. And I thought that was perfect. (laughs) I know. I just love Diane so much. I mean, we've been very much like just, she's like my best friend and like worst rival at the same time. I mean, there was a time when we were both, uh, writing with the same groups and you know our songs were crossing over each other on the charts i mean at one point i think she had like seven songs in the in the top 20 and i had five and they were like between the two of us 
<laughs> it was so funny. And so the one thing about her is she's a true blue friend, no matter what, no matter what's going on, she's always texting me funny things, dirty jokes, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> crazy pictures and, and vice versa. Let me ask you this, because you and Diane have written songs together. How does that work? I, I would assume that neither one of you wants to budge when it comes to, you know, working things out. How do you guys get together? Two strong personalities, two talented songwriters. There has to be a give and take. Uh, how does that work between you two? Well, um, it's kind of, you know, we're so similar in so many ways and in our sensibilities that we just uh, build on each other. And so, uh, you know, she's so skilled and, you know, I've written so many songs that we just, you know, aren't going to suggest the wrong thing. Yeah. We're just like getting ahead of each other in terms of, oh, no, no, it should be this. It should be that. Oh, my God, that's so amazing. I mean, it's always been like that. It's never been like, well, I really don't think that works. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff you have to do with with the artists we co-write with. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I don't think that would be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually uh, culturally inappropriate. I think that's actually offensive. <laughs> it's funny because listening, I've been listening to Desmond Child uh, songs for like three weeks now in preparation for this. And are there songs that you've written in the past that you listen to now and and maybe you cringe a little bit at a lyric or something, or do you just say that was written in that time? And so it's fine with me. Uh, it's more like that. I, I'm, I really don't have a cringe worthy moment in the, the songs that were successful anyway. Yeah. Cause um, you know, of all the songs I've written and there are thousands, you know, it's, it's like I think I've had maybe fifteen hundred that were actually recorded out of the four thousand I wrote. So there's like you know thirty five hundred really bad songs in the bat in the batch. But that's how you you know the, like when they were saying the ten thousand hour you know outlier you know hours that you have to put into becoming great at anything. Right. I, I think I'm at like fifty thousand. I mean, you know, I, I put so much work into it and I'm a workaholic. So, you know, I mean, I figure if Diane is working on a Saturday, I should be working on a Saturday. Yeah. When her, yep. I, I, I have a spy, when her lights go out, that's when I rest. <laughs> uh, as a songwriter, are you constantly writing something in your head at all times? How do you take a break from it? Because I would think that you can't really take a break from it. I, I really, you know what? I only write when it's time to write. The problem is that is if we have a um, really catchy tune, it's like an earworm. And I wake up in the middle of the night, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going, it's going. It's so annoying. It's not like I'm working. It's like it's working me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but usually that means that it's good. If, if, it, if it's as annoying to me, as it is, uh, as as it is, it's going to be like culturally, you know, globally annoying. And people <laughs> have no choice other than to buy the song. And when you say culturally and globally annoying, you mean that in a good thing. It's going to stick in our head and we're yes. not going to be able to stop singing it. 
I know. It's just like you just want to shoot yourself. Like <laughs> a song like She Bangs. You know, it's like, oh my God, if that if I get that one going in my head, middle of the night, she bangs, she bangs. Yeah. You know, it's like so crazy. It's so sticky. I mean, look, that that's a good thing to have. <laughs> that's not well, a bad thing. You know, just looking at writing this book became a kind of a, a way of me feeling like, okay, well, now if I get it all in a book, I won't have to just store it all and keep remembering things. But that's not how it works. Yeah. Because the deeper you go into a book, you realize, oh, that really wasn't how it was. I just have told that little fib so many times <laughs> that, that this is my moment to get to the truth. And, um, you know, I've been so, so incredibly lucky. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, just in so many ways, and I, you know, I could have died of AIDS, let's say. You know, so many of my friends did. My brother died of AIDS. Yeah. I had cousins that died of AIDS. Every, you know, all the people I knew from work, from the cabarets. Yeah, I lost a hundred people. Why not me? And it's like a little bit of survivor guilt and also kind of like um makes me, you know, say, okay, well, I better enjoy this moment, you know, and really work hard this moment. Give it my all this moment. Cause every moment every moment is precious and um and especially with you know this my my husband and and our sons roman and nero who are now 21 year old twins wow and um you know the they're off to college and roman's off in florence italy for this semester and it's it's strange because it's like the first time the boys have been separated for more than two weeks and they'll be uh for four months, you know, not seeing each other. So um Curtis and I are going going to go over there in a in another week, week and a half, uh just to check in and see, you know, if everything's okay. <laughs> He's not like, you know, tearing up, you know, masterpieces or something in, in Florence. And um, you know, I, I am just so incredibly lucky in my personal life. And just looking at the whole stretch of, you know, why I wrote the book, it's kind of a reckoning and a kind of, a, you know, police station confession, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and also a chance to to give thanks to all the people that that helped me, even the ones that were hard on me, 
because they all made me grow. Right. So I have, uh, I have kids, uh, roughly right, right in that age range, 19 and 23. Um, I'm not writing a book, but you have, when you wrote this book, were you worried about your son's reading anything that was in that book? Cause, cause we don't share everything with our kids that we've done throughout our lives. Maybe you do. I don't, but now it's going to be in print form and they can pick that up and check out what dad was up to. I just think that they're not going to pick it up and they're not going to read it. You know, it's like, they've had, you know, enough. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I think I heard that one of them started it and then put it down and didn't finish reading it. <laughs> the other one, oh yeah. Yeah. He's going to get to it. Like whatever. Yeah. I'm like the furthest thing from their mind. <laughs> I, I didn't want to, you know, I've, I've been a studio rat. I've, I've traveled so, so many times through their childhood. Um, you know, I wasn't there all the time and, um, I wanted to, you know, and they know me as, you know, daddy, uh, open checkbook, you know, kind of person, <laughs> but, um, uh, I wanted to put my essence and who I am down in a way that, um, someday maybe they'll pick it up. Who knows? Yeah. In their entire lifetime, they may read the book once and they go like, okay, I knew, I I read it. Okay. Been there, done that. Um, maybe later in life they'll read it again sometime, and maybe I won't be around then. Because you know I'm an old dad. I, I they were born when I was 48, so I'm going to be 70 uh, at the end of next month. So you know, every every second is precious now because I'm feeling great. I'm still working. You know, I'm you know all of that. I just think that, you know, my my father used to say that a man, you know, he was very Hungarian, you know, so he had a very thick Hungarian accent. A man has got to uh, <laughs> to have a son, to build a house, and to write a book, you know. So, so you've done, done it. Those, I've done those those three <laughs> things. So you know, like the Chinese say, "House done, man dies." You know, <laughs> uh, now, first of all, the fact that you're going to be 70 is crazy to me, because as I look at you and obviously you're, you're going to be 70 because you've been around so long. But when I'm looking at you right now, I'm seeing like a 45 year old man. I don't I mean, these well, writing 70, these songs must be keeping you young. No, I, I, I always say that. I mean, I'm going into 70. So I say 70 is the new 70. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> And so, you know, I'm 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 rather a vain person. So I've always really taken care of myself. Yeah. And I was never into drugs and never smoked and drink very, you know, moderately. Exercise, whole foods all the way, not everything organic, and my husband's really amazing at all of that stuff, how he raised the kids and, you know, all I need to say is I'm so grateful because I've had this ever since I was 25 when when I was made for loving you hit uh the song I I I wrote with kiss with you know for kiss with Paul Stanley I've had money yeah one way or the other and so there's been incredible abundance in my life but I also grew up dirt poor eating terribly uh, in the we lived in the ghetto so I never wanted to go back to that <laughs> 
You know, I, I, I wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not in the ghetto. And I'm looking around at the, you know, beautiful home I live in and go, I can't lose this. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, answer that email. <laughs> Excuse me. Answer that email. Get back to that person. Right. Get to the studio on time. You know, keep going so you don't have to go back to the ghetto, you know. <laughs> uh, I was made for loving you. Would that come out? 78, 79, still in the set list today. Still played. People know it. People still love it. And that was your first taste of success. And it's uh, it's still paying off. Yes, it, it's amazing. Every week, I sign off on all of these different licenses for that song. Yeah. It's uh, video games, movies, trailers. Um, you know, it just, it's endless. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that song's the gift that keeps on giving. Tonight, I want to give it all to you. In the darkness, there's so much I want to do. And tonight, I want to lay it at your And uh, don't ask Gene Simmons that, because <laughs> he's he's always hated the song. But I well, he hates that. it. He hates it because he's not listed as a songwriter. If he was making that some of that money, he'd like it. I don't think it was that. I think he had a <laughs> very like strict rock vision for the band. And in that, in the case of that song, I was at the time in my group Desmond Child and Rouge, and Paul Stanley came to see us perform. And he and we were at a place called Tracks, and it didn't have a dressing room. It just had, you know, the front curtain, and we were like behind the curtain, right. so we're like a little piece of cloth between us and the first table, <laughs> getting ready. And he like goes behind the curtain, and he and he says, "Hey, I'm I'm Paul Stanley of Kiss." It's like Paul Stanley. It's like we didn't know what he looked like. Right, right. Days, you know, he wore like a handkerchief over his head. So nobody knew what he looked like. And, and it was like, okay. He said, well, I just want to let you know that in the front table, um, George Harrison of the Beatles is here. <laughs> it was like, what? We were getting ready to go on. And with me, it's like my only stage fright is that right before I go on, I just get so sleepy. I have like narcolepsy. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. And so I just like, you know, poked around the window and there, I mean, the, the curtain and there he was with those big white teeth and the whole thing. And it's like, okay. So we went out there, get, gave it our all. And then Paul came back afterward and say, you know, I think you guys are great. And uh, I don't think he was as much interested in me as he was the beautiful girls in my group. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, you know, the way in. And he said, we should try writing a song together. And our first song was called The Fight. 
because we were still working on Desmond Child and Rouge's first album that went on that. And then we wrote a second song, I Was Made For Loving You. And uh, I think, you know, I did better than he did <laughs> on, on that uh, bargain. And, um, you know, we we never looked back. We always kept writing together. I think I have about 20-something songs written for either, I mean, with Paul Stanley, either for Kiss or his solo records. Yeah. And he's, you know, he was the one that introduced me to um, Bon Jovi. And, you know, then that led to Aerosmith, that led to Alice Cooper, that led to working with Cher. You know, the 80s were very intense for me. Yeah, I and, bet. And the fact that you just told me that you've never smoked or done drugs, I mean, that's amazing. And that's like me too. I've never smoked ever. I've never done drugs. And I'm I'm also a moderate drinker. And um, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting till I'm like 85 and then I'm going to become like a total like heroin junkie. Like <laughs> I'm going to go tripping. I'll go on shrooms. I'll, you know, go out do, to Joshua tree. I'll go to Joshua tree, burning man. I'll do all of that stuff then. <laughs> right. <laughs> because then it won't matter anymore. It's like, you know, that's really bad for you. Oh yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, how bad is it? Yeah. Well, let's find <laughs> out. <laughs> so uh i just want to interject uh kiss dynasty tour that was my first concert i ever saw i was 15 years old love i was made for loving you it's just it's fantastic i, I never tire of it i really really love it you brought up bon jovi so i want to ask out of all the songs you've written i feel almost any one of them could have been the title of your book and yet you chose living on a prayer tell me why you chose that one specifically well, for me, living on a prayer, I mean, is the way I've lived. You know, it's like, you know, whether there's anything beyond anything, my intention was always to live with in reverence, you know, and to be in gratitude for all the abundance and luck that I've had. So living on a prayer suited the story of my life. Yeah. You know, because, you know, that that's that's pretty much why and also it's the one that's probably right off the bat the most one of the most recognizable titles that i've collaborated on so i think it was more it was kind of like okay i had this idea living on a prayer big songs big life because you know living on prayer is one of the big songs and then i've had this big life so you know i i think it it was appropriate when you write a book, I assume you have a deadline to get everything turned in. I, I, 
eventually, uh, yeah, because we signed up with Radius Book Group, and um, you know, I I didn't really have luck getting a regular book deal. You know, I kept hearing nobody cares about songwriters. You know, we care about the stars, but not the songwriters. I said, yeah, but my songs are the stars. See, I mean, all around the world, people know the songs. Sometimes they don't even know who sang it. They just yeah. like the song. You know, so uh, that's the remarkable thing about, you know, today, because the music is every day reaching a billion people. My songs. Yeah. You know, it. it's like, you know, it's like one of those things. So um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, <laughs> when, I, when I go to Greece, I get in a cab and almost all of them have the rock station on. And it's maybe within the 20 minutes, I'll hear three of my songs. And, and how does that make you feel? What, what kind of a charge must you get from that? I, I love it. You know, and I go, hey, I wrote that song. And it's like, you know, <laughs> uh, can't be, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's th that's such a great, great feeling. You know, in the United States, we have the um, a world where everybody's kind of listens to their own kind of music. And, it, and it's like if you're into classical, you only listen to that or jazz, you only listen to that. If you're into rock, you only listen to that. If you're into urban music, you only listen to that country music. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are all these different things. When I was growing up in the in the ghetto of uh, Liberty City in Miami and on the swing sets, it was multi uh, cultural, multiracial. And somebody always had a transistor radio when we were playing on the swing sets and stuff. And there was only one station to listen to. Yeah. And you'd listen to uh, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Franklin, the Everly Brothers, Dionne Warwick, uh, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles. I mean, every song was a different style. And it was all just like music for kids. Or it was just like, that's American music. So you, yeah. I got educated in every style. And so that's always served me. Because when I go into a writing session, I bring a toolbox of any style you want to write in. And I just concentrate on the storyline, you know, because, you know, that's the essence of everything. Yeah. And um, so to me, it, it just, you know, it doesn't really matter the style. You, uh, you mentioned Dionne Warwick as one of the artists that would come on that radio station. So yes. that's a it's a good jumping off point here for me to talk about the song on your solo album Discipline, song called Obsession, co-written with Burt Bacharach.
I assume as a songwriter, that was a dream come true. Absolutely. I I wish I had, you know, I was just in awe of him and I don't know how it happened, but he came over to my house and we sat at the piano together and he had the beginnings of this beautiful melody. And um, I started writing the lyrics and, you know, also contributing on the chorus part, um, you know, and it was like writing with him. I mean, he would mumble like, like little things and, and you could hardly hear him singing the melody, but uh, he was like a very, you know, shy, beautiful person. And uh, one of the great things that happened was I, we finished the song. So I gave the song to my arranger and uh, he like started changing chords because he didn't understand the score because he was given a score with like musical notes that Bert wrote out. And Bert came to the studio and he said, no, 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 stop. <laughs> what happened there? It's like, what do you mean? That's not the chord. And then the arranger was like, you know, like looked like he was going to die. He said, what did you do? Well, I didn't understand it. So I just put in what I thought it was. It's like, no, no, no. As soon as Bert corrected the chord, the song like jumped up like and expanded so much further. And, um, you know, I mean, Bert Backrack and Hal David, Hal David's lyrics, you know, um, you know, what's it all all about Alfie, you know, <laughs> something even non-believers can believe in those kinds of um, tension of opposite lines um, is something that I in, I've incorporated into my songwriting. Yeah. So uh, I worked for two years with Bob Crew, who became a tremendous mentor for me. He was the one that co-wrote um, all the songs with Bob Gaudio for the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons, sure. And he wrote Lady Marmalade and many other songs. And um, there was a time in his life when he moved to New York and he took me under his wing only because I was a Scorpio. I don't know if you've seen Jersey Boys, but he had a thing for Scorpios. And he was a Scorpio and Bob Gaudio was a Scorpio and Kenny Nolan was a was a Scorpio. So he would only write with Scorpios. So that was my <laughs> pass into his world. And we wrote for two years and he would always say, you you don't open your mouth to say something if you don't have something to say. Why would you open your mouth to sing something if you don't have anything to sing? Yeah. And um, one of the other advices he gave was that lyrics are the script to the movie that is the song. Yeah. You write the lyrics, you write the script, and then you shoot the movie. And the thing that comes at the very end of it all is the score. You know, yeah, that's when they sweeten the movie, and that's when you add the colors that that bring out the drama of what you're saying. And that was the opposite of how I used to write before. I would just like sit at the piano and play some chords and mumble and hoping that one of these <laughs> would sound like something, and then I'd <laughs> like a little thread for a little bird and then build a nest. I mean, a song. I mean, once I started writing with Bob. And he also talked about the tension of opposites, you know, so I, you know, the, you know, that's, that's how I learned how to write. So I could offer titles, like when I first met Bon Jovi, you give love a bad name, love, bad or opposites. Yeah. Um, with Kiss, heavens on fire, 
like two opposite yeah. concepts. I hate myself for loving you. How can we be lovers if we can't be friends? <laughs> you see, now I'm getting now I'm getting it, Desmond. You see, now you're gonna yeah. get out there and start competing with me. <laughs> you'll um, know, you'll know all my secrets. And, <laughs> you know, I'll be in the poorhouse again in the ghetto. <laughs> when you're when you were writing with Bob Crew and a Burt Bacharach, do you sit next to them and do you feel like you're equals or are you sitting there as a fan just hoping to shine more like that yeah i would and think also so a devoted you know student you know but i want to be like the teacher's pet <laughs> yeah so um i would have to at every vertical moment prove myself yeah and um you know <laughs> i remember i was writing a song with bob and he wanted to write maybe with lady and which is went against his his um his doctrine of rhyming everything exactly perfect because maybe has a b and lady has a d right and i like sat there because at that point i was coming out and i just did not and this is for me to sing as an artist as a solo artist after desmond child and rouge my group and you know i'm sitting there and he says, you sing lady. And it's like, I can't sing lady. You know, I would be untrue. And he was like, sing lady. And finally, <laughs> I got him to let me sing baby, which rhymes even better with maybe. Sure. But I, I swear to God, I burst into tears. There were like droplets of tears on the keys of the piano. And he was he backed off a little bit. I knew when to put on the waterworks. <laughs> it works. Yeah. But I remember going to the studio with him and I, you know, he was so, you know, grand walking in. I was just like his little shadow, you know, following him into the studio. And he was very handsome and tall and, you know, with beautiful blonde hair. He was a model when he was 18. And, um, you know, uh, he knew all the musicians and the engineers and he was a god, you know, but I was a nothing. So we get into it and all of a sudden we're working on an arrangement and there was like a string section there. And I said, Bob, I really don't like the way that the strings are there. I think they're a little bit too busy. And he just looked at me and he said, I don't know how I ever had a hit without you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my I, lost, God. I lost that, that, that fight. That's a great story. You've been doing this for like as a career for like over 45 years now. And in 2008, right. you're inducted right. into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, it's been over 50 years. Oh, okay. Over 50 years. I had my first hit in 79. So it was 79. It was like, okay, 79. And then it was 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s. And now we're in 2020s. Six decades, decades. Of number one hits. <laughs> so I'm good till 2030. I don't have to have another number one till then. <laughs> Were you thrilled to be inducted though into the Songwriters Hall of Fame? It was everything for me. Yeah. I mean, for a songwriter to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, I, I don't think there, I mean, if you think about the tens of thousands of songwriters there are, I think there are only 500 people ever inducted. 
and you know and it started you know over 50 years ago and um it was the greatest moment of my life i i opened the show with a medley of eight songs and i had my my group uh rouge there you know desmond child and rouge uh they helped me and they helped me to do this medley and um you know to be on stage with maria vidal miriam valley and diana graselli um and oh i hired percussionists uh latin percussionists so there was eight, there were eight percussionists on the floor and there was a horn section because I had to have the horns for the Ricky Martin parts. And I had to, you know, I like added to the whole thing. It was a spectacular opening. And um, my mom was there. I was so lucky that she was, you know, with it enough to be able to, to attend. And, you know, my mom was a songwriter and, um, and, a, and a poet. And she was, you know, one of those people, I always say that she was a combination of Angelica Houston and um, in the Grifters and Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar <laughs> Named Desire. She was unbelievable, a character. And so I introduced her from the stage when I was, you know, accepting my award. And she stood up and, you know, she got a, a nice applause. But then she turned around and kind of put her arms up and the whole place went crazy. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it became her award. Yeah. <laughs> mom got her moment yeah she did and you know she was proud of me but you know she never saw much there were no boundaries with with her she never saw much of a separation between me and her you know and that sometimes happens when you know a single mom has to depend on a kid like me to you know almost be like her partner in life yeah but it was more like partner in crime <laughs> she had a million schemes <laughs> and so she's a, a a central a central character in my book for sure and so uh, i i really you know i'm devoted to her and uh after she passed away i think it was like 10 it was 11 years ago i helped to co-found the latin songwriters hall of fame under the auspices of the songwriters hall of fame and last year we celebrated our 10th anniversary and i was inducted into the organization uh, that, you know, my mom's statue of her playing guitar uh, is the statuette, a statue that was made of her in 1954. And so um, my, my co-founder, Rudy Perez and I said, okay, it's time that we get inducted. It's like, really? <laughs> yes, no, uh, you know, we're gonna be inducted. So this time I had 47 percussionists at the back of the theater and everybody you know they started out with this crazy banging and then everybody turned around and they were all like dressed in you know black shirts with red ties and there was a marching band uh element and there were like kids and it was like it was huge and that's how we started off the show and my sons were with me and they helped me get, you know, down these steps. And uh, they stood next to me when I was inducted uh, by Erica Ender, who wrote Despacito. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. But I felt like my mom finally got her due. Yeah, it's quite she, a tribute. Yeah. Yes, yes. Even though she had cuts, she never made a penny out of songwriting. 
That's why there's an award for her, you know, the La Musa, because people called her La Musa, La Musa Elena Casals Award that's um, given to young up-and-coming female songwriters. And so, you know, I feel good about that. You know, so yeah, I, someday I want to do a, a, an album of her songs, her, you know, most important songs and have the greatest uh, Latin artists uh, perform it. You know, so, you know, maybe someday she'll be inducted into her own, you know, organization. <laughs> Speaking of albums, Desmond, do you think you'll ever make another solo album? You know, I Desmond Child and Rouge has come back together. Okay. So um, we've been recording new material. And so we're really excited about releasing those to the world. And uh, we're doing a very, I'm, this is an exclusive, we're doing <laughs> a very special record, which is our tribute to Laura Nero. Wow. And so we had Laura's piano arrangements and her voicings and everything recreated and we, in, in Laura's key. And we're going to start getting together in November to start working out all the arrangements. And so... Um, so that's like I shouldn't have spilled the beans on that, but we're doing it. Okay. <laughs> well, now now you have to do it because you you talk. Now I have about to it. do it. Now I have to do it. And I was with uh, Diane Warren called me with Car Charlie Colello, the famous arranger who arranged Desmond Child and Rouge's first album, and who worked with Laura Nero on her album first records and did all the arrangements and. I started thinking, you know, let's get Charlie Colello to do the arrangements for this record. So it's like a full circle, Desmond Child and Rouge and Laura Nero all kind of, uh, you know, come together in, in one project. You know, I'm, we're not doing it for money. You know, we're doing it for the passion and love of it. And I think that, you know, I, I recommend that the artists that I work with do a little side project for passion. Do it by yourself for and get in touch with your love of music. You know, not do it to promote your your cosmetic line. You know, right? Get in touch with the thing that made you want to sing to begin with, and your mute your your music going forward will start to have that feeling again. That yeah, I mean this. I mean this sounds like it was destined to happen all these um, related things involved between Laura Nero and Desmond Chowd and Rouge and the arranger. I mean, how can it not happen? I know. <laughs> the, actually, Maria Vidal's husband, Rick Knowles, was the one that gave us the idea, but we kind of like poo-pooed it. We were rehearsing for a show that we did in New York called 54 Below, and we were rehearsing our harmonies at their house in L.A., and it was just me at the piano and them singing the harmonies. And he walked through the, the room and he said, you know what? You guys should make that album of just piano and your voices. Wow. And you know, it's like, get out of here, Rick. Go back to Lana Del Rey and, you know, Dido and the things you're doing. You know, don't poke your nose into what we're doing. He yeah, another, another, he fan he was another fantastic songwriter that was always popping up on all the albums I bought Rick Knowles. I'm glad you, I'm glad he just came up and I had no idea that he was married to Maria. Amazing. 
Yes. I mean, Maria was my one of she's my soulmate, you know. And we started Desmond Child and Rouge together. We were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. You know, that's you know, before I realized I was more gay than I was bi. <laughs> but I mean, we were so focused on, you know, building our dream and I'm I'm still so in love with her. And she's the god one of the godmothers to our my sons with, you know, and so um, you know, she's also when we were together, she was a waitress at our diner called Once Upon a Stove, where at a given moment the waiters and waitresses would sing a song. You know, most of them were Broadway gypsies, right? Okay. And so everybody had special um showbiz names and hers was Gina because she was named after Gina Lola Brigida because she had black hair. She was very vivacious. So when I went to co-write Living on a Prayer, you know, I was thinking about, you know, John said he wanted to write a song about a struggling couple. And in his in the back of his mind, he had a couple that he had gone to high school with that had gotten married right at, you know, during high school. And their name, their names are Bonnie and Joe. Okay. He didn't say that, uh, you know, out loud, but that's what, you know, was going through his mind. And he's, you know, mentioned it in various articles. And I was thinking about me and Maria living in that little, you know, one room studio for four and a half years. Wow. We had to brush our teeth in the kitchen sink. <laughs> you know, that's how little it was. And it was a little spinet piano. And, um, you know, so she would come home and, and, you know, she had her her tag that said Gina. So I thought of, you know, Gina works the diner all day, you know, working for her men to bring home her pay for love, you know, and. And that's how it was. I was home writing songs and she was out there making the money for us to survive. And, um, you know, it, it's been a, a fantastic, those were what, what um, didn't Neil Sadaka write that song, The Hungry Years? I miss yeah. The Hungry Years. Every time I hear that song, I, I, I think about those times, the funnest times with those girls. We get each other going, laughing, falling on the floor, tears, belly ache, laughter. It's like, I don't laugh like that anymore. You know, what happened? You know, but when I get together with them, we actually, you know, have a way of of tapping into that crazy nice. laughter. That's why I think it's important that people stay in touch with their with their oldest friends because they're the ones that really know who you are inside. Yeah.
and they they won't um they won't put up with your bs they'll call you out on it oh yeah the eye rolling is unbelievable <laughs> what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one in the coast guard we think it's all of the above and more but you'll have to find out for yourself visit gocoastguard.com to learn more i want to do something desmond that i've never done on this show before but i have to do it with you because there's so many amazing songs and so many songs that people might not know also so what I want to do right now is I have 135 Desmond Child songs in my iTunes currently. I just want to I just want to click play. We'll hear about 30 seconds of of you know five of them. I don't know what's going to come up, and then I'll just okay. get your take on it. We'll and we'll see and what. 30 seconds is a very long time in show business. Well, let's maybe, just do 15 seconds. Let's see what happens. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's see what one comes up first. Here we go. All right, Desmond, that is Army of One, Bon Jovi, 2013 from the album What About Now? I love this song. I'm one of these people that I really love later Bon Jovi. I really do. And you've been involved in a lot of the later albums. Tell me about Army of One. I, I don't remember. Okay, there we go. That I, hey. I mean, it was like, wait a second. Did I go write that song? Really? It sounds so good. <laughs> you did. Um, you know, I, I don't specifically remember that that song. But... I'm glad that I co-wrote it if I did. <laughs> no, you did. You definitely did. Okay. Here's I'm one that just came up. This I love that. But you see, what, what I love about, you know, Bon Jovi is that he has a lot of soul music in him, you know, from growing yeah. up. Also, in the songs we wrote, I, you know, like, You Could Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer, that pumping uh, R&B bass. That's the same thing that I was made for loving you had, you know, it's like that, you know, boom, 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 you know, that kind of uh, R&B Motown thing. So I'm a soldier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're the, 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 the pips, you know, dancing behind that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right. Let's uh, have it on shuffle. Let's see what's up next. Oh, this one's from this year. Here we go. Right, that's Proud Desperado from Winger from the album Seven. Oh, it's such a great song, and he does such a great job with with the singing and everything. And that song, at you know, when we wrote it, I mean, it was right after January sixth, and um, you know, 
it's it, it's it's one of the you know I mean one of the very few like really kind of uh, political songs that I've ever worked on. Um, Kip had the start of the song, and um, you know I helped him to shape you know shape the the lyric into that concept, and um, it it was like something we, we you know we were both feeling. It's like look at it from the other side why would these people do this what was driving them yeah and what why did they feel that that was a patriotic thing to do and you know you have to look at you know i'm not trying to go all you know there are nice people on both sides on you but um you can see that our country's in trouble if people are that angry and I think it's important that we, maybe it's too thera therapeutic to think of it this way. Like, let's all sit down and figure out why we're so angry. But, um, you know, it's 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 makes me sad all the time. I, I actually can't even watch television news anymore. I just stick with the New York Times, read the headline and read into it a little bit. Okay, can't too upsetting. Next. Because I was so hooked on it, especially all through COVID. Like, you know, it was like, that was our, TV news was our contact to the outside world. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I the, the thing that I resent the most, actually, about everything that's gone on these days with our supposed politicians on both sides, is like, before, it's like you'd elect somebody and it's like, okay, go build the bridge, fund it, build the bridge. I want to go over it with my kids and be safe. Okay. Right. But now it feels like we're all in politics. All of a sudden we we're all experts at what's going on in, you know, in the Senate, in the Congress, and we know all the names and who's on which side. And it's like like people into football that know all the teams. And I resent that. Yeah. I, I used to like to, when I didn't know anyone. Yeah. I don't want to have to think about those things. I want to be able to be productive. And, you know, I I have, you know, Republican friends and, you know, all that. And the way that, you know, we've been driven apart from each other on these crazy social issues um, just have nothing to do with policy, have nothing to do with making a better world. It's just about who's going to win and score on, you know, at the at the elect at the ballot box. Yeah, it's just it's sports. It's like. Let the football players play the sports, you know, it's, get into that. It's, I, I just, it's, it's almost like ancient Rome, you know, yeah. thumbs up, some thumbs down, you know, what is it going to be? Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Um, so proud desperado, you know, is, is really a cry for help, you know, you know, to say, guys, come on. Let's protect our democracy. Yeah. You know, not not tear it apart, not tear each other apart. Okay, that's as political as I'm going to get. <laughs> well, you know, look, I'm that's running song, for office. That, <laughs> that song that song came up, so I'm glad we got the word on it. So, uh, let's see what is next in the shuffle.
1987, Aerosmith, Hearts Done Time from Permanent Vacation. That was the big comeback, Permanent Vacation. Yes. What's it like? What's that energy like in the room with Steven Tyler? Well, that particular song I co-wrote just with Joe Perry, Hearts Done okay. Time. And okay. Steven sang it. Uh, but, you know, th- those are two very strong characters. And it's a miracle that, you know, they've kept their band together <clears throat> as as they have. Uh, because sometimes they have very different, you know, uh, feelings of what things should be. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's like, you know, Stephen's very mercurial. And Joe is kind of the solid rock, you know, that kind of holds the fort down and gives Stephen the the rope to go out and, you know, and keep developing as this, you know, he's, the, who's, who's as unique as Steven Tyler. Yeah. You know, he brought together Freddie Mercury. He brought together, um, you know, the Rolling Stones. He's like Mick Jagger and Freddie Mercury, love child. Mm-hmm. Um, he also brought in Janis Joplin, you know, with, you know, the he, huge Janis Joplin fan. So he he kind of blended all these elements together that, he, you know, ACDC, all of those things that made him who he is, gave him something to build on. And then now he and Joe and the rest of the band have created a very unique sound that is very, you know, it's not derivative. As yeah. soon as you hear that voice and you the slidey, bluesy elements, you you know who you're listening to. Yeah, and uh, sometimes um, there's even elements of torch songs in there with Steven Tyler. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's so emotional. And, um, you know, he's I, I, he's just a miracle yeah. person on earth. And we're so lucky that he's still performing. Yeah. All right, here's another one. And again, these are just on shuffle. I, But I'm glad this one came up. And I think you might know this guy. Desmond, this song was recorded by you, was recorded by Cher, it was recorded by Ronnie Spector, but I'm dead straight honest with you, your version is my preferred version. It really Aww, is. Oh, thank you. I love. I just love it so much. Um, you know, when I was um, starting to write for, uh, you know, other artists, um, this was at the beginning of the 1980s. Um, I was I was told uh, to write a songs songs for Ronnie Spector 
because she had just ha- had that song with Eddie Money, you know, yeah. was it? Take me home tonight. Take me home tonight. And then she comes in going, be my little baby, which is from, you know, um, Ellie Greenwich and yeah. Barry's uh, Be My Baby, you know, all time classics, you know, Phil Spector production. And uh, <clears throat> um, it was one of those things where, um, it was my first writing session with Diane Warren and Paul Stanley and I had been co-writing and, um, I had been writing down titles, you know, usually sometimes what we do is we say, okay, let's just throw titles on the table. Like that's one of the things I used to do with Bob crew. So, um, you know, he had come up with, uh, the, you know, love on a roof and, uh, you know, and then when I, I saw the list. And I saw, oh, I love that love on a rooftop, love on a rooftop, you know, because it had like a swing. And so I wrote the song with Diane and then I called Paul and I said, I wrote with this great girl, Diane Warren. We wrote a song called uh, Love on a Rooftop. And he, it was like silence. It's like, <laughs> that's my title. Oh, my God, you're so right. So actually, he joined the song <laughs> and um I was able, you know, I submitted it to Charles Koppelman. Uh, he was overseeing the the new deal he had made on EMI uh, with Ronnie Spector. And they loved the song because it had all those woes in it, which was, you know, what, uh, 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 right? And uh, they didn't want me to produce it. I mean, I hadn't produced anybody really, except for the records I did with Desmond Child and Rouge. And, um, so I said, okay, I mean, I was really brave. And I said, okay, well, you can't have the song unless I produce it. Nice. And it took them three days of deliberations to give me a chance. Then they they came back and I was in the studio with Ronnie and, um, you know, she was there and, and you know, she was a character. Her stories, I mean, she her stories were unbelievable. And um, she was behind the the mic and she was having trouble, you know, because the track was so kind of wall of sound already. And uh, she she was like, instead of going, whoa, whoa, she was going, whoa, you know, like whatever, you know, (laughs) it was like completely different. So I went into the studio and stood next to her in the mic. I got my own headsets and I said, okay, take the music out and just sing after me. Whoa, 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 and I figured I could piece it together. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, she tried half-heartedly, and then finally she snapped and she said, "Don't tell me how to sing a whoa. I invented them." And I was like, "Okay, kudos, you know, like yeah. you, I, I'm not worthy." And I just, <laughs> just, you know, eventually she got it in her bones and she sang it great.
So then later, um, I suggested it for Cher. And uh, then I cut it on my record. And then um, I, I later cut it with Robin Beck. Yes. Uh, and who else did it? I think... Uh, you know, uh, it, like so many other, you know, covers started happening with that song because it kind of came, became sort of an like an unknown classic. Yeah. And, uh, Joe Perry of Aerosmith told me that uh, he and his wife, Billy, that that's their favorite romantic song. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it was like love on a rooftop. Yeah, you, it's a great you song. Think you think that's cool? Yeah. <laughs> cool enough to be your love song? OK, I'll take it. All right, in 1989, you produced the whole album by this legend. Let's listen to this track. Right, that's Alice Cooper. The album's trash, and that song is Bed of Nails. I believe Diane helped write on that as well as Kane Roberts. Really? I believe I so. Remember, I don't remember those other two. Okay. I remember me and Alice writing it. Yeah. This, I, I this start checking the credits on that. <laughs> this but. trash album was fantastic. I was so excited. I love Alice. He uh he had a couple albums on MCA when he was making his comeback. And then trash really sealed the deal, I believe, for everyone. You you've been there many times when these legendary classic bands came back into the mainstream. You helped with that. Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Cher. I mean, you were a big part of that, Desmond. Well, you know, I didn't even tell Alice till recently that I had gone to see my first Alice Cooper concert when I was 18. And I had a girlfriend at the time, Lisa Roberts, who she went by Lash LaRue. And <laughs> uh, she was very like, she was like kind of like a drag queen, really. She'd like dress me up and, you know, black feathers in my hair. I had long hair. And she took me to my first Alice Cooper concert at the Miami High Life Fronton. And uh, I think it was, uh, uh, Todd Rundgren was the opening act. Okay. Uh, you know, long history with Todd Rundgren, me, me and Todd. Um, but um, that's when I saw Alice Cooper the first time. I mean, we had the spider eyes painted on and the <laughs> whole thing, you know? And so um, I got a chance to work with Alice and, um, you know, he had done various records before and I met him and I just, I I I just adore him. He's the the kindest, you know, most compassionate and funniest and you know, he's sharp, he's witty, he's he's amazing as a human being. Very, you know, compassionate and like he has a house and he and his wife Cheryl have a house in Maui and it didn't get touched by the flames, but he opened the doors and 
people are living in it, you know, nice. that are homeless. You know, it's like, okay, take my mansion, everybody, whoever can pile in there. You know, I think that the thing, I mean, I don't know if he's ever even revealed that. So I, I'm sorry if I, you know, stepped over the line with that, but he's very uh, discreet and he's not a braggy person. But he explained to me that he is Vincent Fournier and Alice Cooper was actually the name of his band. Right. And then people started calling him Alice. They thought he was Alice Cooper, which was a gender bending concept. You know, this like, you know, very kind of strange looking guy. And, and you know, and then he played it up with boas and, you know, all this kind of theatrical stuff. I mean, he invented heavy metal. He invented glam rock before anyone even thought to do any of that. And so I got a chance to work with him. And it was at a time when I had all these number ones with, you know, and, you know, top songs with, you know, Bon Jovi and Kiss and Aerosmith and Joan Jett. And I I said, well, I want to, you know, let's make this record kind of a barn raising, you know, more like a barn burning. <laughs> and uh, everybody jumped in, you know, as you know, because everybody loves Alice and uh, Kane Roberts, Kip Winger. That's where I met him. Um, and we made this this record that's really got like a theatrical piece. And that's how he's made all his records, because Alice can sing things and get away with things that he, as Vincent Fournier, would never even dream of <laughs> or saying. And once I understood that we were writing for a character in a kind of mora morality play, he explained, look, if he cuts the head off a doll, then guess whose head comes off next? His in the guillotine. There's, there's always, he always gets punished for being bad. Right. And so... In popular culture, well, since the beginning of time, you know, you have archetypes. And his is very clear. He's Pan, he's the devil, he's, you know, Alice Cooper is. And he's, um, you know, very highly sexual. He's, um, you know, edgy and all of these things that, you know, Vincent Fournier is a, like a normal person, you right. know. So he can play out all of his, like, you know, darkest fantasies through Alice Cooper. So we wrote it as a musical, like one would a musical and the lead character is Alice Cooper. Like, you know, he had previous albums, Welcome to My Nightmare and all of these things. And that's why he wore a top hat because he was like the, the, the MC, the master of ceremonies, inviting you into the world of Alice Cooper. And, uh, you know, and he had like vampire -y kind of makeup and everything. People just love that because we go to see scary movies because it gives us this like, you know, thrill and, but we don't have to live that in real life. Right. You know, somebody else can kill somebody in a movie. We don't have to kill people in our, in our own lives to, you know, experience what that feels like because we all have a dark side that's hardwired into us. That's the reptilian side of our brain. And, you know, we have, mammalian sides and nurturing sides so in theater there's always a villain you know 
the perils of Pauline or Gilbert and Sullivan. There's always, you know, a landlord that's throwing somebody out and who's mean and scroogey and all of this kind of stuff. We love that. And so that's how, you know, uh, trash was was written. And I think that's why, it, you know, we we had all of these fans coming to, well, what did Bon Jovi fans they they came to it and Joan Jett fans and Aerosmith fans, Kip Winger fans, they all came to the party uh, and bought the record to see what their favorite artists were doing and fell in love with with Alice. I think we sold like four and a half million records. Yeah, big success, big comeback, big success. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, I I can do this all day. Let's do, let's, let's do one more, Desmond. I'm not sure what's Sorry coming. Sorry, I go on and on, but I'm Cuban, so no, um, hey, no, that's I like what I want. Talk. I like to talk. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about this. This is from an artist who has never broken big in the U.S. or m- maybe it. I'm going to say it all. Really, the artist is uh, Robbie Williams. Let's hear this one. She's taking the places I should never have been. Old Before I Die uh, from the album Life Through a Lens, co-written with Robbie and Eric Bazilian. I'm actually going to see the Hooters tonight. So, and oh, Eric's been on I the show. Eric, I just love Eric Bazilian. He's one of my favorite people, dear friend. And yeah. we've, we've had hits together and all of that. You see, Robbie Williams, he came to the States kind of hoping maybe he could cross over. Yeah. Um, uh, in a boy band before that in England. And he was the, you know, the star sometimes, you know, like the Justin Timberlake, the, the, the one that had them, but he was a bad boy. He was always in fights. He was drunk on the streets. He would, you know, he was a hugely into a soccer, you know, what they call football yeah. and teams. And, you know, he was like all this kind of stuff. And he came to Miami beach and he started, you know, just you know being himself <laughs> everyone was was saying oh he'll probably not live to you know be old uh he'll be you know like kind of like on this self-destructive streak yeah drinking drugs whatever and so i always like writing a song that if um the person sang it it would lead them to healing I don't ever say that. It's just in my 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 background. So I see these artists as wounded warriors. And they 
by going through um, the song, uh, they get to sing it over and over again and reinforce something that leads them to a good place. So forever he'll have to sing that song because it really was a huge hit in England. And he also is a very huge star around the world. He just didn't break here. I know. It's so weird. Sometimes it's like that, you know? So I, I, you know, Eric and I wrote the perfect, you know, lyric for his archetype. I hope I'm old before I die. It's like the opposite of the who's my generation. Hope I die before I get old. But right. And so um, we also all had a mutual love for the Beatles. So if you listen to it, you know, the way that the vocal is uh, double tracked, it really almost sounds like Lennon McCartney, you know, the early Beatles. Yeah. And Eric, you know, his guitar playing is so unique. Um, And, you know, he wrote he solely wrote uh, What If God Was One of Us. Yeah. You know, dun, 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 and that gold top Les Paul, his makes that sound that you're listening to there. And so, um, you know, th- this was the perfect song for this character. And guess what? The guy got his life together. So, you know, he's living, he's performing, he's yeah. a huge star, he's doing great. So um, that's how that came together. It's a great song. Let me uh, let me just give a rundown for people who don't know some of the artists Desmond Child's written with and for and produced. Kiss, Billy Squire, Cher, Bon Jovi, Bonnie Tyler, Aerosmith, Jennifer Rush, Jimmy Barnes, John Waite, uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, uh, Alice Cooper, Robin Beck, uh, just so many. Michael Bolton, Peter Wolf, Rat, just a, a million, a million songs. I hope there's a million more. Wait a second. You left out Barbara. Barbara, Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Of, course, of course, Barbara Streisand. Yes. There's just too many. There's too many Maybe to name, Desmond. People should go and listen to Lady Liberty. It's I solely wrote the song, one of the few songs I solely wrote, uh, you know, because my career was made out of collaborations. And um, I wrote the song and... We have this lyric video on YouTube. You can watch it. And and she sang it like she was 20 years old. She sang it with the, like, the Streisand has arrived, you know, because <laughs> she's so passionate about freedom and about, um, you know, democracy. And, you know, she's my lady liberty. I mean, she stands for all the right things. And uh, that song is very inspiring because it, it has a lyric in it, you know, about, um, uh, how the Statue of Liberty witnessed, you know, that, you know, that day, that terrible day in September, you know, when we stopped and cried together, remember, and, you know, we stopped our fighting amongst each other and we stood together. And I think that with what every, all the separation that's going on, people wound up by, you know, all this stuff, let's get, but, you know, I mean, we just had 9-11 again, and it was like 22 years later. And it's like, we need to, as a people, remember that if we were attacked, they everyone would drop everything and yeah. go and fight for our country. And so that's why, you know, the song is so important. And, you know, the the, the Statue of Liberty is a woman 
And she's also one that welcomes, you know, the immigrants from all over the world to create the melting pot and the strength that we have from the, the diversity. And so, you know, um, and in, in the Statue of Liberty, there's an inscription, uh, you know, um, give me your tired and your poor, your, your, uh, you know, all, all of that. That was written by a female poet. And uh, I incorporate those words into the song as well. So I encourage people to 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 listen to that song and uh, share it because we really need a bunch of love going more than hate now. Because well, what ha what's happening is our enemies are getting ahead of us, you know, and they would love it to see us just scrambling in the dirt, fighting each other while they take over industry, while they take over the arms race, while they take over everything. And, you know, those countries are totalitarian, you know, authoritarian regimes. We don't want that here. No. Ever. I'll tell you what, Desmond, I always, uh, I always end each episode with a playout song. That song is going to be the playout today. Oh, awesome. Before we go, I want to let everyone know. I'm proud of it. Well, that's, I can't think of a better reason than to play a song that you're proud of. So let me tell you where people can find every, uh, where people can find Desmond Child. Go to desmondchild.com, Instagram at Desmond period child, on Twitter at Desmond Child. The book, Living on a Prayer, Big Songs, Big Life, comes out September 19th. Continued success, Desmond, as an author and as a songwriter. And I so appreciate you for doing this today. A pleasure to meet you. And maybe someday I'll see you in person. Yes, absolutely. Until then, goodbye, Desmond. Bye. Terrible September when we stopped and cried.
Hello. Good morning, Desmond. Good morning. How are you? So good. Did we like decide to dress exactly like? Is that well? Is that what happened here? Uh, you look a little bit cooler in your glasses than I do. <laughs> I have glasses just like yours. Should I get them? <laughs> no, we're good. I think we're okay.